This is Real Estate Rookie. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today, we've got Brian Lubin. Brian's uh, also a podcaster, but a real estate investor, entrepreneur, uh, who really documents his journey of being able to leave his six-figure salary with only two deals. He only had two deals. And he talks about this strategy of using both passive income and what he calls passionate income and how you can combine those two things together to really accelerate the time that you can leave your job or the, I guess so you can leave your job faster. Yeah. The, the foundation is really important to having that stability to be able to do that, but it's not just all, you know, roses and happiness. He had a panic attack and that wasn't really because of real estate, it, which most of us do have panic attacks over or, you know, worry about. It was actually just the fact of leaving his job. And he actually talks about how detrimental and serious a panic attack can feel. So he's going to go through as to when this happened to him, what were the steps that he took in that moment to reassure himself that he was making that right decision to actually move forward with leaving his job. At the end, you'll want to keep listening because we go into more detail on co-living and how he was using this real estate strategy, but also even some tax strategies that he implemented during this process too. Especially if you are house hacking or you've lived in your primary residence, he lets you know something uh, that is a really, really good piece of advice that you may not realize as far as paying taxes on your primary residence. All right. So before we kick it over, I want to give a shout out to someone by the name of Jet91 Jackson. Jet left to say five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And Jet says, I've been listening to the original BP podcast for years, and I also love On the Market, but I find myself gravitating more towards the Ricky podcast every single day. They cover all the details and strategies a rookie would need to know. And I love hearing the challenges people have run into and how they overcome that in their journey. Not to mention Ashley and Tony compliment each other very well. Keep it up, guys. You're helping more people than you know. Uh, Jeb, really appreciate those kind words. Um, that, that truly is why Ash and I love doing this podcast is to hear stories just like that. And you kind of hit, un, you know, randomly on a lot of what we're going to be talking about in today's episode, right? You get to hear a lot of challenges. You get to hear about how they overcame them. And it's just cool that we get to present so many stories like that to folks just like this. So if you're a part of the rookie audience, if you're enjoying this content, please take just a few minutes out of your day. Leave us an honest rating and review on whatever podcast platform it is you're listening to. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. 
Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent toretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please let us know a little bit about you and how you were able to get started in real estate. Oh, man. So I had a very traditional upbringing. You know, I went to high school, did the four-year college thing, thought that I was going to be a suit and tie wearing guy for the rest of my life. And that was going to be the pinnacle of existence, right? I was like, man, I can't wait to make it to the top of this corporate mountaintop. And I'm just going to make it to manager, VP. I'm going to drive the fancy cars, have the nice watches, have the beautiful house, be at the coolest country club. Um, and so that was my intention after I left college. Like I didn't have this backstory of wanting to be an entrepreneur, wanting to be an investor, any of this stuff. Very traditional, just I wanted to make money. I wanted to just do the thing. And I wanted to get better. So when I was looking at that, I originally got my degree in marketing and I realized, wait a second, this whole salary thing. If I'm really good, I'm making the same amount of money as somebody that's not really good. It's the same amount of money. I was like, wait, hold on a second. Can I go do something where if I get better, I get paid more? So I was introduced to sales. So I joined this uh, Fortune 500 sales organization. Um, it, was a, it was a wonderful experience, which is ironic because I actively preach about how to get out of corporate America. Um, but, you know, it was as good as it could have been. And sometimes those are the most difficult situations to leave. It's very easy to leave when things are awful. It's harder to leave when things are good enough, right? And that applies to relationships, your life, your business, anything. So... I made it to the top of that company over four and a half years. I uh, made it up and just worked my tail off, blood, sweat, and tears, 80-hour weeks, really learning, being coachable, um, just taking feedback, going to the top reps in the company and asking them for help. And that was my first run with mentorship. Made it to the top, got everything I ever wanted, won uh, 
number eight out of 5,079 for the position, rep of the year, rookie of the year, and then decided it was time to leave. Uh, Brian, first, so, something you said that I, I think um, I, I want to circle back to you. It's, it's an important point, but um, you you talked about how when you first got that W-2 job and you were looking around like, man, I'm making the same as everyone else, even though I feel that I'm a better employee than these people. And you said, I want to go into a field that um, kind of compensates me based on the value that I can provide. I think that in itself is a major lesson for a lot of rookies who are listening today, because say that your goal is to uh, kind of accelerate your ability to save cash, to put money towards your real estate business. Sometimes the simplest solution is getting a new job, right? And if you can leave this job where you're tied to a 2% annual raise based on how the company performs or whatever it is, and instead move yourself into a position where based on your skills, based on your merits, based on the value that you provide, you can exponentially increase your income. That's one of the fastest ways to kind of kickstart your, your real estate journey. Um, so I, I just want to I want to talk about this because th there is I think a certain sentiment Brian towards the sales profession like there there's a lot of people who feel that I can't be a good salesman or being a salesperson just kind of gives me the ick or I don't know if I like the idea of doing that so wh what's your kind of rebuttal to people that have hesitancy about sales as a career so you guys have complete control over what you sell who you sell for and how long you do it. So what my advice is, especially to those people that are listening that are maybe in college that are looking to make that first jump, go into an organization that's like tried, tested and proven to where you can actually get behind the product that you're selling. Because then it's not a game of, you know, selling isn't a game of closing people. It's the game of helping people make a decision. That's it. And sometimes the decision is that it's not the best fit. And that's okay. And I'll tell you right now, Tony and Ashley, the best salespeople in the world are the ones that will actively lead with that and say, hey, like, I'm here to help you make a decision. This may not be the best thing for you, but it may be the greatest thing for you. And I only want you to do it if it is the greatest thing for you. And so like, that's what led to everything. And I even sold myself into that position because I had zero experience. And they said, well, why should we do this for you? And I said, well, if you hire someone with a bunch of experience, they may do things the way you don't want them to do it. I'm a blank slate. I'm a clean canvas. You can mold me into whatever you want me to become. And that's what happened. And so I made it to the top of that company. And then a piece of advice that I give to everyone that I think is really, really important. Look at your boss's boss. So that's what I did because I made it to the top. I won the awards. There was nowhere else to go besides promotions, right? And so in corporate, you start shadowing your manager and then you see like their boss too. And you start following the position. And they're like, this is what the day-to-day -day looks like. And I followed them and I was like, oh my God you have less freedom than I do. Uh-oh. It's like, bro, you have Zoom calls in 15-minute increments throughout your entire day, and your diet is donuts and caffeine. I was like, uh-oh, I don't want to do this. And then that's when I started being like, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another option. I can't be 30, 40, 50, 60 years old living that kind of existence. I want to have my freedom to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. So then that's when I was introduced to real estate. And I'll pause there.
Yeah. And I want to, I want to go into the real estate piece, Brian, but one last thing that I want to circle back to is like, you, 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 I can't remember how you phrase it, but it was, it was really well said, but you said that, uh, it's easy to leave when you hate your job, but it's harder to leave when things are just okay. And it, it's kind of, it, it's true, right? Because when things are just okay, it's, it's this idea of like, you, you start to get complacent, you find yourself in your comfort zone. And it reminds me of the story. Have you guys heard the story about like the dog that's sitting on the nail? Have you guys heard this? So, so there's a story, right? Uh, these, these two neighbors, uh, one neighbor walks over to the other neighbor's house and the neighbor's got a dog sitting on the front porch and, you know, neighbor's like in his rocking chair, a dog sitting next to him and the dog's just like howling. And the other neighbor's like, what's wrong with your dog? And the neighbor who has a dog, he's like, oh, he's sitting on a nail. And the other neighbor says, well, why doesn't the dog move? And the neighbor says, because it doesn't hurt bad enough. And it's this, it's this analogy for how a lot of people live life where they're, we're all sitting on some sort of nails in different parts of our life, but we don't take action because the pain isn't great enough. So the question to you then, Brian, is what was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back or at what point did that pain get big enough for you to have that moment where you woke up and said, this is what I want to do full time? Oh, it was absolutely when I got everything I ever wanted. So I call these the mountaintops moment, mountaintop moments of life. And it represents the 2% of life where you get everything. You hit that goal, you run the marathon, you know, you accomplish that thing that you've been working towards and you get up to it and you raise your hands in victory and you're like, yes, I did it. And you're like, oh, wait, now what? And then back to the 98% of life, which is accomplishing the next goal. So once I looked at my boss and I looked at my boss's boss and I realized the goals that I want in life do not correlate with the trajectory that's before me. So that ceiling kind of started coming down on me. And then when I was able, like you said, it was a good job. I was making great money for my 20s. And I had to create the pain from the future and bring it to the present in order for me to do that. Because I was like, if I, I want to be a present father in the future, I want to have my freedom. I want to have control of my time. And if I continue down this path, I will not have those things. So therefore, like this is the moment I need to draw a line in the sand and make a change in my life. And then I feel like people that are listening to that, like you guys have all had these moments already, which is why you're listening to Bigger Pockets and you're listening to Real Estate Rookie. You've already had those moments and you're trying to find that other path, that other alternative. And it's here. I think uh, there's three different ways that actually could have gone. So you, you needed that next goal, that next achievement. You were at the mountaintop and you needed, you know, another mountain to actually climb. But what about the people whose mindset is I'm comfortable I'm complacent. I'm just going to stay here. And then what about the people that get too comfortable where they actually start sliding down that other side as to maybe that, you know, they get comfortable. They're like, we love this lifestyle creep, but it starts creeping too much. And then they start partying too much and they start going on too many vacations and their work starts to slide. How did you achieve that mindset of I need another mountain? instead of staying complacent or actually falling back down that path? Oh, that's a great question. So uh, <clears throat> Tony Robbins has this quote that says, if you're not Tony growing, Robinson? you're dying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Tony Robinson. <laughs> yeah. No, Tony Robbins has got this great quote about this dog on a nail. Tony Robbins, <laughs> Tony Robbins has this great quote about, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And that applies throughout all of life. So I'll answer that with, uh, there's actually this wonderful book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And it was by this hospice nurse named Bronnie Ware. And in this book, she uh, interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of her patients on their deathbeds. And the vast majority of them on their deathbeds, when they were asked, you know, your regrets of life, like, what do you look back on and regret? 
most of them are regrets of omission of things that they didn't do as opposed to things that they did do that they wish they hadn't. So it was, I wish, you know, I wish I would have went and talked to that person I saw at the bar. I wish I would have spoke my mind. I wish I would have been true to myself. I wish I would have left that job and done something else. And so they're all thinking about the things that could have been. And so a piece of advice that I give to people is zoom out to 80-year-old you. And it's like, is 80-year-old you happy with what like you're doing looking back on your life right now? If not, like take the advice of that person. So it's like, I talk to the 80-year-old version of myself a lot and I'm saying, okay, cool. Like looking back on all of this, what does this look like? You know? And so that really helped reinforce it. And there's this thing called sunk cost fallacy, which is you spent so many years climbing this mountain that you make it 75% of the way to the top. And then you realize that the only way to make it to the top is to go all the way back down and climb another path, <laughs> which all of us have been, especially in real estate investing, like it's because it's seasonal sometimes too. And you're like, oh man, I can't go all the way back down. I've made it so far. And that's a lot of relationships too. You're like, we've been married 10 years. Like, I don't want to start all over again. But sometimes it's like, you have to go back down to the base of the mountain to make it to the actual mountaintop that you're looking to summit. So a lot of the people, the top regrets of the dying were, man, I wish I would have gone back down to the base and tried to climb again a different way. Because like, that's where the fun of life is. is it's in the climb, right? So hopefully that answered the question. Do you think there is in that story or that situation, there's some part of some people where they may be thinking that I actually wish I could start over. Yeah. I wish that I was, it was wiped away and I would start over knowing what I know now, it would be so much easier to build and to kind of create that path. And I could get up there faster because of what I, I know now. Oh, and the coolest part is like, you already know what you know now today. (laughs) So tomorrow is literally that instance for you to start all over again, fresh, you know, because I tell people, um, the reason that people don't take action is because they're like terrified to start, right? They don't have the confidence to take the action, but taking the action is what builds the confidence, ironically. And so the advice I give to people, especially people listening that are on your first property, your first three properties, your first 10, you know, if you do leave that job to go do this thing full time, when the cash flow supports it, what's the worst case scenario that's going to happen? The worst possible thing? You, you fail, right? Oh, man, like repairs, CapEx, a roof goes out, a tenant has there's a messy eviction. You're like, oh, crap. What now? You go get another job. So it's like your worst case scenario is your present day reality. And then people are like, oh, <laughs> okay, that makes sense. And so that, that like alleviates the fear a lot to just get started because analysis paralysis, I know which we'll get into here in this episode. Like, that's, that's the big boogeyman that everyone's got to beat. Like that's the dragon that needs to be slayed for people to do anything. Cause let's like face the reality of the situation. We all know how to do this stuff. Like bigger pockets does exist. <laughs> there's a lot of episodes. There's a lot of YouTube videos. There's a lot of books. So it's just a matter of people being like, there's other roadblocks that are keeping them from that how. Brian, I'm curious, when you approach someone that is stuck in that analysis paralysis, what are some questions you ask them to try to help them, you know, get out of it? What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? So it's like that scene in the notebook where he's banging on the window. And it's just like, what do you want? Because uh, 99% of people can't answer that um, at all. And because it, in our society, you're not trained. It's not encouraged for you to actually ask what you want. You're encouraged to be practical and reasonable, right? So like, hey, whoa, 
too much dip on your chip there. <laughs> Calm down. Like, come back. Like, let's not do this whole real estate thing, which my family, entire family, told me how stupid of an idea it was, which I'm sure you guys can relate to. Um, all my friends, all my coworkers at the time, because that was my network. That was it. They all told me that it was the worst idea ever. And so through doing all of that, I asked people, what the heck do you want? If you won the lottery tomorrow, if you had you know, $100 million just pop in your bank account, and you don't ever have to work a day in your life again. What are you doing? Like, what does your day look like? What does your routine look like? Where are you living? Who are you with? Like, how do you feel? And so the biggest thing that I've done throughout all of investing and all of anything is literally just wrote down what the heck I wanted. And I, I've done that for a long time now. For the last three years, this is an excellent book called Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. And he talks about writing out a three, and he's been a guest on Bigger Pockets on the main podcast too. And so he talks about uh, writing out in present tense, three years in the future, what does your life and business look like as if you're experiencing it today, if anything was possible? And when you write that out, then all of a sudden you have a goalpost to aim for. And when you have a goalpost to aim for, now you actually have an understanding of what to say yes to and what to say no to. So the reason that most people are not starting is because they have too many options and they're driving in this car and it's dark and it's foggy and cloudy and they have zero visibility, of course you're going to go slow. You, it would be foolish for you to mash the gas in that situation. But if it's crystal clear, you got Google Maps set, you got a freaking playlist bumping on Spotify, you're listening to Bigger Pockets, like, you can just mash the gas and you're clear. So it's, clarity is the answer. And that also solves anxiety because people are just anxious because they have too many options. So if you remove all these different options and you're only focused on one, Game over. Yeah. One thing I, I want to add to that, Brian, um, you, you made a couple of really good points, but uh, the last piece you said about like just making the decision, I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is that they, they, they have this overwhelm because they're like, I need to make a decision that I can live with for the rest of my life. When that is not the case, like you make a decision today based on the information that you currently have available, and then you start progressing down that path. And then every opportunity that you get, you're kind of reassessing, does this still make sense for me? And then sometimes you might need to pivot and you pivot this way and you pivot that way because the path to success is never a straight line, right? It's, it's really messy and there's ups and there's downs and there's you know, 180s where you're not even making any progress at some points, right? But the, the point that I'm trying to make for all of our rookies that are listening, and this was advice that a mentor gave to me was that it's not, it's not super important in terms of what you decide. What's more important is that you make a decision. And once you do that, then you can start making and, and feeling that progress and, 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 and feeling that momentum. Um, and then the, the, the other thing you said was uh, that your, your family wasn't incredibly supportive. And I think that is a big challenge for a lot of our rookies listening as well, is that they've got, you know, their, their uncle Jim's who, you know, watch CNBC and think they have all the information about real estate investing, but they've done exactly zero deals themselves. But yet somehow uncle Jim is this authority on what it takes to be a successful real estate investor. And because most of us who have never invested in real estate before, we don't have that network of people who are also doing it. We feel influenced by uncle Jim because, Hey, he's our uncle. He's our family member. I love uncle Jim. He's given me good advice before. So he must be right about investing in real estate. But the thing that I always say is that you should only take advice from someone that's actually done the thing that you're wanting to do. Bingo. And if they haven't done that, then why take advice from them? Like, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty good dad, but I wouldn't feel qualified to give my son advice on how to do an open heart surgery. Yeah, I've never done it before. 
right? But if he wants to learn from me about real estate investing, I can teach him that. So I think that's a super important point, Brian. I'm glad you brought it up was that community can either support you or they can pull you back. Mm -hmm. And everyone's so stuck at capital H how, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone listening to this podcast in some way, shape or form is like, how, how do I do this? How do I get mentors? How do I find peers, partners? Like how do I raise capital? What are all these crazy things that you guys are talking about all the time? And when you change the question, exactly what you said, Tony, it was a great point because this is an awesome segue. When you change the questions from how to where and then to who, the game changes. Life unlocks. Everything becomes easier because you don't have to do this by yourself. And the anxiety and indecision analysis paralysis becomes because you're doing it by yourself and you're trying to and you have to start that way in the beginning. I did it by myself for the first three years and was, I felt like I was on an island. And a lot of people listening to this feel like they're on an island. So when you know where you're going, there's this crazy thing in your brain called the reticular activating system, RAS for short. When you, when you go buy a new car to car, car dealership, you drive out of the, on the road, you start seeing that car freaking everywhere. <laughs> so it's just your brain just being trained to see what you're paying attention to. So when you know where you're going and you're saying, man, I want to travel around the world, which is what I did. Like I quit that job and I traveled full time around the world for eight months. And I was like, that's what I want to do. So I'm like, who has done that? Who has built a business? Who has invested in real estate and built a framework around that that allows them to have the remote uh, management style and the ability to travel while they do it? So that allowed me to say no to other opportunities that presented themselves because every single yes needs to be justified by 100 no's. So strategy isn't really a game of what to say yes to. Strategy is a game of what to say no to. And for me, I was like, I can't do multifamily. It's too hands-on right now. I can't do Airbnb. For me, at the time, too hands-on because I didn't know what I didn't know. But I was like, man, I could do this house hack thing. I got this down, and I could be able to go travel around the world. And you tell me I don't have to pay for rent? What? I was like, all of a sudden, this just unlocked for me. So you need to know like what attributes that you're looking for in your mentor as well. Then that's when you start recognizing those people. Brian, when you started the second mountain. Can you kind of go back and tell us as to how you actually quit your first job and made that decision and what your like next step was? Was it to get into real estate or what was kind of the process there? Yeah. So a bunch of people listening to this want to quit their jobs, right? Like that's basically what I've built my entire personality around. (laughs) So I've got this, I've got this covered guys. Uh, So the advice that I always give around leaving your job is Man, do things in tandem with your job. Guys, think back to what Tony said at the beginning of the episode about your income, right? Your income is your biggest asset when you're first purchasing real estate because you're bankable, you're loanable, and you're able to save that money and have that cash cushion. So we start with our W-2 income, and then eventually once you have a couple of doors under your belt, then you can start leveraging all the creative strategies. Like I know we all want to do sub two, seller finance, all these wraps and all this stuff to get the first couple of doors, and that's all fine and good. But the easiest and best way that's most like predictable and like you can spread it out across everyone is just being really good at your job and being where your feet are and like making sure that that's optimized so that you can start buying the properties. So what I did was I had my doors already purchased. I just bought one a year. It was very boring, very unsexy. Anybody can do it. They'd be terrified to learn that anyone can do it. <laughs> and so I just did that. So by the time that I uh, it came, now I was making a six-figure income which some people may think is uh, like an advantage and a privilege. And other people that are making a six-figure income also view it a different way, which is, oof, 
this is way more difficult to replace. You know, 40, 50,000 is easier to replace than over 150,000 plus. So it's like it's a different game to play. And so I always say there's three different levels of passive cash flow that you need. And if you chunk it down, it makes it more attainable. So you have survive, arrive, and thrive. So if somebody's making $100,000, even $70,000 plus, that may be really intimidating for them to figure out how to build that passive cash flow. And they're like, there's no way I can get out of my job. I'm like, okay, well, let's chunk it down. So arrive, survive, first step. So for survive, we're just figuring out what are our fixed expenses? You know, like house over, like roof over our head, uh, food on the table, bills paid. I can survive here. And then that's going to be way lower than what your total income is take home. Arrive is now you've got some discretionary room. You can wiggle around a little bit. And then thrive is, oh man, I got this whole thing replaced. So for me, once I hit that survive and kind of move to arrive, that was about $4,000 a freaking month for me. Wasn't that much cash flow. Like I had two properties co-living that I lived in one part, rented the other rooms out, bought one a year, and I had $4,000 coming in. I was like, I live for free. I'm debt free because I always made sure to pay off the credit cards and everything. I was like, this is enough to like swing for the plate and try to venture out and start up side hustles, take big bets on myself, do my own thing. And so January, February, March of 2022, the income was coming in. I started up my own podcast and that started producing revenue as well as like a side hustle. And I was like, I got this. Like, this is consistent. March of 2022, I left that job. And as I, we were talking about this before the podcast, but I journaled every single day, like day one, post W2, day two, day 14. I was having panic attacks after I left my job. And so that's the irony is nobody talks about what happens after you do the thing. After you have done, like you've left your job, you hit quote unquote financial freedom, whatever you want to call it. There's a whole lot of life to live afterwards. And none of us, none of us are just wanting to sit on a freaking beach and do nothing. I, I, I did it. I lived in Greece for a month. And I traveled full time for eight months. I literally lived on the beach. And after three weeks, you're hungover and sunburned. <laughs> so it's like, what is next afterwards? So a coach asked me something that really changed my, changed my life. And I, I always love sharing it on podcasts because it really impacts people. And my coach said, and you guys will really resonate with this. He said, okay, so you want to build $20,000 of passive income. And everyone says 10,000 is kind of the default, right? That you guys probably hear a month. And he goes, okay, so you want to build this passive income. He goes, why does all of it need to be passive? Why? It's like, can't you make some of it passive and then just go try to figure out how to generate active income in ways that are super fun to you? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. And so that's what I did. So I used the real estate to build the foundation, to exit, and then be like, ask the question, what really fires me up that I can do, that I would do for free, but I can make money from? And that's where I came up with passionate income. So for some people that is building a big old real estate company, that is building a, an Airbnb empire, that is doing wholesaling, flipping, you know, self-storage, whatever have you. For me, it was podcasting. And I'm still going to buy a bunch of real estate in my life. And we'll go into my real estate journey here in a second. But it's just, I want to get everyone to that point where they have enough passive income coming in to where they can focus on passionate income and to really drive the point home and to land the plane. Think about Steve Irwin. He's a perfect example of this. Steve Irwin was a dude that was the crocodile hunter for people that are maybe don't recognize the name. He was a guy that lived every single day like he was on freaking fire. Dude's soul just like radiated through the television and every single person around the world resonated with this guy. And so when he died, I remember there was a quote that he had that really stuck out with me. He said, give me all the money. 
give me the millions of dollars. I'm going to pour it all back into wildlife and conservation and my family. And now his kids are old enough to be doing the same thing that he did. So I want everyone to have that passion. It may not be quitting your job and traveling around the world full time like I did. But if it's making freaking candles in a cabin in Colorado or teaching surf classes in Hawaii, I want you to do that. A lot of information. I'll pause there. (laughs) You know what? But that is such a great point. And that is very true when a lot of people do hit that financial freedom, they still end up going out and working somehow, whether it's a a passion project or it's a a job to help somebody else, whatever that is, it is very true that most people just don't stop everything and sit on the beach. Um, Especially there's a lot of people too that uh, do education. So whatever they've built passively, then they are so passionate about it and they help other people to get to that point too. Um, but let's talk about some of that real estate. Uh, so do you have a deal that you want to kind of walk us through? Yeah, let's walk through. Let's walk through two of them because I don't have much real estate, guys. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, that's uh, no. The first couple of deals, man, the first deal, I'll tell you guys, um, every single person that I knew in my world at the time told me how dumb it was. And the second deal, there were less people. And now to give you guys a full circle snapshot I just exited both of these deals. I actually sold them, which we can get into that as well about why I made that decision to sell. Um, and now I have enough cash to be able to float three years of living expenses um, by doing whatever I want of that thrive level based off the equity created from these two terrible decisions that everyone told me about. So guys, real estate pays off in the future through appreciation. It may not be, you know, this rapid COVID appreciation that we had, but you know, if you hold on 10, 20 years, like it gets, starts to get fun. So the first property I bought was uh, about $300,000 in North Atlanta. I put 3% down. I did a conventional house hack. So that's what I did is I, I put that money loan down payment down. I lived in one room and I went and rented the other rooms out. So when I was looking for a property, I did what David Green calls the luxury house hack. So I bought a five bed, four bath houses, 1970s build plus uh, or newer uh, with two kitchens in La Suite, two separate entrances. Because in Atlanta, duplexes are either uh, way off in, you know, kind of the rural markets and they're very dilapidated and need a lot of CapEx or they're like $4 million (laughs) in the middle of the city. And a lot of people are relating to this because I talk to people 24 seven and they're saying, I'm sitting on $80,000 of cash that I've saved and I'm trying to buy this condo or this place to house hack and I'm not able to buy it. I keep getting outbid, the interest rates are going crazy. And then I was just like, okay, well let's zoom out and go back to what we're actually aiming for here. So back then I was able to do that and just break even in the beginning, right? And then when I moved out, I was able to rent it out by the room instead of by, you know, sections. So in the beginning, I rented it out in the top half as a full unit, bottom half as, you know, one person living in a bedroom. Afterwards, I transitioned to the co-living approach by rent by the room. And then that was able to produce about like 1600 to 1800 of pure net cash flow on top of CapEx and everything afterwards. So I just rinsed and repeated that same strategy and got the same houses, uh, same house again the next year. How did you not get shiny object syndrome and stay focused on doing that same thing on repeat? At the time, I didn't know anything else <laughs> because I was <laughs> just, <a> answer. <laughs> at the time I didn't, it, and that was such a blessing, right? I didn't even know about anything else. I didn't have mentors or people in my life that were coaching me. I was just like, I read the books, the bigger pockets books. And I was like, man, I'm going to buy this house. 
and this sounds cool. I ain't going to have to pay money for rent or mortgage. Like, it's covered. Awesome. And so in the beginning, that's what I did. But for people that have a couple of properties under their belt like I had at the time, and they come to that realization where they're saying, okay, I've done the thing. I've got a couple of rentals. Now I need to scale. That's a whole different ballgame to play. Because now you're going from a focus on passive income to a focus on people, which both of you know more than anyone. At that point, it's all about people. You're like, okay, who has scaled where I want to scale? Uh, who in my local market can I trust You know, for acquisition and lead flow? like, Who are the top wholesalers? Who are the top realtors? Who are the top agents that I can get connected with? And then it becomes a who conversation. Because going back to what we said, when you know you're where and you know exactly what you need, how much you need to come in per month, and you know your who's, that's when you become dangerous. And so at that point, I was like, okay, cool. Now we can start to scale. And for me, it just happened to be, oh, this podcasting thing ended up being more lucrative than I anticipated because I created a show myself. And I was like, okay, for me, that was that. But I know hundreds of other people that have done that through multifamily, self-storage, commercial, mobile home parks. Because what Tony said is, doesn't matter what you pick, matters that you pick. And what's your advice to somebody that is trying to pick their strategy? That they don't get Ooh. distracted with that shiny object syndrome and just, you know what, I'm going to, you know, research short-term rentals, but also I'm going to be at the same time analyzing campgrounds and then I'm going to be analyzing duplexes for long-term rentals. So what's your advice well, on that? That's my favorite one. It's my favorite <laughs> one because I, I think I came up with something original. I haven't heard it. So I think I came up with something original, guys. Uh-oh. Uh, five-star rating review for Real Estate Rookie. Uh, so what we created was, if you are in a mall and you're walking around a food court, are you just going to walk around the food court and just look at the different places and not eat anything? No. Go try the free samples. So you're going to walk around, you're going to try the chicken, you're going to try the beef, you're going to try you know, the barbecue over here. Maybe they got some Japanese over here. You're going to try all the free samples. And then at the end, you're going to circle around and you say, I really like, I really like the barbecue. I'm going to go back and sit down for that meal. I like that meal. That's it. It's literally like a food court. So people in the beginning, I think people mislabel shiny object syndrome uh, because I don't think that shiny object syndrome is a problem until you have something that's working and then you leave that thing to do something else. Then it becomes an issue. But in the beginning, it's about trying out all the different stuff, right? So maybe you do a flip. You're like, okay, that was cool. All right, maybe you invest in a duplex. Maybe you start up a short-term rental. Maybe you try the midterm rental strategy afterwards. And you're like, oh, that was a little bit more fun. Maybe you try self-storage. And then you just start trying different things. And then you can look around your food court, your real estate food court, and say, okay, man, self-storage was really interesting to me as opposed to all the rest of this stuff. I want to use that as my, as my path, right? And so I use this anal another analogy to land the plane here. Um, if you're going to a car dealership, right, and we all are going to this entrepreneurship car dealership, and you're, you're walking around the lot, and all the different asset classes are the different cars to pick, right? So then say that you pick a car, and it doesn't matter which one, and you start just driving down this endless highway. So that's what most people are doing. So they are like, okay, I defeated analysis paralysis. I defeated shiny object syndrome. I, I'm going to do Airbnb. I got this. And they post on Instagram. They're like, look at my new car. And they start driving. But back to what we talked about in the beginning, if you don't know where you're going, you're just going to keep driving, man. You're just going to keep going. And then eventually what happens when you just keep going and you don't stop, the car breaks down. And then that 
is where everyone's having all this anxiety, this depression, this fatigue. Their relationships are falling apart. They're getting sick because they've been driving this car for 20 years. They don't know where they're going. So it's like, once you have that, so to land the plane, like I said, once you have your, you know, your destination picked out, go around the dealership, test drive a couple of the cars, and then you can pick out which one you like the best. One thing I think I'd add to that, Brian, is for all of our rookies that are still trying to decide what strategy they want to go after, like, I think, well, first, let me take a step back, right? Like, there, there's a few decisions you need to make. You need to make a decision on your actual strategy, and then you need to make a decision on your niche. Because I could say that I want to become a syndicator, but I can syndicate apartment complexes, I can syndicate mobile home parks, I can syndicate hotels, or I can say I want to become a flipper. Same thing. I could flip single family homes. I could flip small multifamily. I could flip large multifamily. I could say I want to become a wholesaler. Like, so you have your strategy first, and then you have the niche that you want to apply that strategy in. And I think the best way to like find that perfect intersection of strategy and niche is doing a bit of a self-assessment because just because you know someone that makes a ton of money at wholesaling that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right strategy for you because wholesaling in a sense is a sales position and you have to be really good at having conversations, handling objections, managing leads and dealing with a lot of rejection. And if you're not the type of person that no matter how much income potential there is, no matter even how good you might be at it, if you don't like the idea of doing that, you're going to struggle with that strategy. Same thing with house flipping. If you don't like dealing with contractors, and kind of not hand-holding, right, but holding people accountable in that sense, then flipping may not be the right strategy for you. If you want to get into the Airbnb space and you don't like the idea of, you know, being at the beck and call of your guest and providing exceptional customer service, you know, my properties turn 12 to 15 times per month. That's 12 to 15 different groups of people at every single property. If that overwhelms you, then maybe that's not the strategy for you. So the point here is that you've got to find the strategy and the niche that aligns with your personality, with your skill set, with your desires, and ultimately what your goals are, right? Because if your goal is long-term equity gain and your and your goal is tax benefits, then you shouldn't be flipping because that, that, that strategy doesn't align with that goal. If your goal is I want big chunks of cash right now today, then don't go buy a single family as a long-term rental because that doesn't align with your goal. So I think it's taking a step back assessing yourself and then trying to figure out how do I fit within these different strategies and these different niches um, at the car dealership when you're at like also like those are the different cars you're looking at you know like the equity I say if you're looking for the equity maybe that's a multifamily play right and you're doing a longer term uh, time horizon maybe that's like searching for the minivans for a family like Tony's about to have this big, this big old family that he's growing right now with Sarah so it's just like maybe you're not looking for that fast cash you're not in the market for a Porsche like you're in the market for that minivan right so like that's what you're going for, and I love everything that you said. Have you guys um, ever heard of the disc assessment? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I'm I'm never buying a minivan. Never buying a minivan. All right, you guys heard <laughs> yeah. it here first. So Sarah, Sarah, when y'all buy a minivan, you you come back to this and you you show actually. Them. Actually, I will say we uh, we rented a car in Tennessee, and usually when we go out there, I'll, I'll get like a truck. But all the trucks were sold out. They're like, oh, we got left is a minivan, and it was a it was a Dodge Caravan. 
and it was actually a really really nice car <laughs> like it had like screens everywhere and like all the, everything was like automated so who knows maybe i won't buy a minivan i could honestly oh, see sarah getting sponsored by a minivan, by a minivan. company <laughs> and her reels and the dancing and the minivan yeah. doors opening up and her showcasing it 100 that's a good idea <laughs> yeah. this is gonna this is going to be awesome. But the disc assessment for people listening, this is an awesome, awesome thing that you guys can take. Because in the beginning, it's like you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of us are probably asking the question, all right, what Tony just said is awesome. But like, what are my strengths? Like, what are my weaknesses? Where are my blind spots? When you're looking for partners, which we can get into a whole tangent on this as peers, partners, mentors, and coaches. But when you're looking for partners, you're looking for someone with a complementary skill set to you. Because if there are two of the same of you, one of you isn't needed. All right. So if you're a people person, you're super extroverted and bubbly and outgoing like me, believe it or not, guys, Labrador retriever energy, golden retriever energy over here. It's like, I'm terrible at details. So it's like, I'm not going to partner with somebody that's a super extroverted people person. I need to partner with someone that's hyper analytical, that loves pouring into Excel sheets. Right. And that's called your operator. So not go too deep into like the operations weeds. Uh, a DISC profile is D-I-S-C. And if you go take this free test online, there's a bunch of free resources, a uh, bunch of websites. It will tell you what your personality style is. So a high, like D is dominance, I is you know interpersonal or whatever. The moral of the story is that uh, D and I, if you're a high ID, like I am, then that means that you're super into like people and maybe capital raising and running a team. Like that's where you thrive. If you're an SC, and that means that you are really into systems, structure, compliance, building out the deal analysis spreadsheet. And if you're an SC, for a person like me that loves making content and loves you know, being the voice and making the vision and all this stuff, I am hungry for SCs in my life. I am starving for those people that love the spreadsheet. So you may be loving doing that. You love deal analysis, but you're like, I can't stand making content. How am I ever going to be successful in real estate? Go to that person making content. Or <laughs> like Tony, you. you just marry that person. Or it's a, <laughs> he likes just the spreadsheets, she likes the content. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. Go find a person that marry them. That is the secret to your financial freedom. Yeah. Well, that also be the biggest roadblock if you marry the wrong person. <laughs> That's also true. So before you get married, take the disc profile. <laughs> disc profile, baby. <laughs> Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout? Up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, so Brian, I want to circle back to your properties. And before we kind of move into our segments here, I want to hear the bad. So you left your job. You have these rental properties as your foundation. Did everything go as smooth as you thought it would? owning these properties because you didn't mention the panic attacks was any of that because of things that happened with the properties kind of explain more. All right. So there's two different, two different side uh, points to that. But first, of course, nothing went wrong. Everything was perfect. It's real estate. What are you talking about? Everything, everything's okay. No, um, uh, uh, a belief that I had in the beginning was that you can out earn problems. This is false. For people that are listening that think that real estate's going to magically solve every single problem that you're ever going to have, this is incorrect. You are always going to have problems. They're just going to look, look different. They're different stages. They call it different levels, different devils. And I remind myself of that phrase every single day. So it, it's like you're never going to avoid them. You just get better at managing them emotionally. So uh, the first time one of my units, one of my basement units flooded, it was a lot of emotions. The water wait, heater started first leaking. Time? The first time. Oh, are you are you guys <laughs> sitting down? More. Just wait. Just wait. There's more. So first time my unit flooded, uh, it was the water heater uh, had bust and it completely destroyed the entire basement unit. Had to get everything fixed. Tenant texted me and said, hey, um, I'm in water. What? I had never dealt with anything like this before. Um, so, okay, cool. First time hyper emotional fixing that. Cool. Second time a unit flooded, different house. Uh, this time it was the uh, washing machine return hose came loose and just launched water all in my personal unit that I was living in. And it was Valentine's Day. <laughs> so we had just come back. Uh, my girlfriend at the time had just come back and we were like, 
who spilled something on the floor, on the carpet? And then all of a sudden it was everywhere. And then it started coming under the door. And so that was fun. So it was a washing machine hose. So I fixed it, turned the water off, uh, come back later. Uh, then we leave to go get fans to fix it. Uh, come back, have the fans going. And then the tenant upstairs, their kids, their teenage kids came back to do a load of laundry. They realized, oh, the washing machine's not working. So they plugged it back in, turned it back on again. Reflooded everything. So the third, the fourth time was uh, heavy rains, uh, floodplain, poor drainage. One of the one of the gutters and everything wasn't working. It just backed up. There was a creek, and so then it flooded the fourth time. So guys, by the fourth flood, I was just like, of course it's going to flood. It's an annual tradition, and I was traveling at that point. So I just was like, okay, cool. Let me call. Let me call Eric. Eric will take care of it. Property manager at the time. So he took care of that. So yeah, and then you also asked if I was, if any of the panic attacks that happened after I left my job were real estate related. No. The answer is because by that point, I'd had the four floods. And the fourth flood, ha- well, the three floods, the fourth flood happened. And I'd had everything under the sun go wrong, like plumbing, electrical, roof, everything at that point. So I tell people, you're not a real estate investor until you have one flood <laughs> or a roof. Now you're a real estate investor. Welcome. It's not even something to be upset about. Welcome to the, welcome to the tribe. You're embraced now. Um, so I left my job, and this is a really, really important point for people that are still listening to this sound of my voice right now, uh, which means hopefully you're getting some value here. Cash flow gets you out of your job. Cash flow will get you your initial freedom. Community keeps your freedom. So cash flow gets you out of your job. Community keeps you out of your job. Because I did everything right. I had the cash flow. I had six months of emergency fund cash sitting in my account. I had great community, I had a thriving podcast, everything was right on paper. And I left that job and I did it. And I wasn't even, like, I was more excited than I was nervous. And I submitted that two weeks notice on, on a Wednesday and I left and I remember driving to my car thinking there was going to be a mariachi band or something. Just like when you hit millionaire status, you're like, okay, where are the fireworks? Who do I call? Uh, it, never, it never happens, right? And so I remember I didn't feel anything then, but it was the day two weeks after and it'd been two weeks of me not working and I was texting my friends and I, I if anybody's planning to go travel full-time around the world after leaving your job book the trip close I had it like two months out <laughs> so I had this two-month buffer of second-guessing every single thing and every single decision that I've ever made and I'm texting friends to say like hey can we hang out no they're working <laughs> so thank god I had my own community that I'd invested in um, and that's ironically where I met Brandon Turner and all the and David Green, and all the bigger pockets guys was through that community. And I had mentors in that group that were able to be on the phone with me and talk me off the ledge, you know, metaphorically whenever I was freaking out because I was journaling one day and I was writing out everything that I was about to do. And I was going to go do this trip. And I was going to live in Greece for a month and I had Mykonos booked and Santorini booked and all these places booked. And I was like, wait, Greece is expensive. It's like, Whoa, whoa, what am I doing? (laughs) And it just like washed over me. And if anyone's had a panic attack before, it's like a heart attack. You're like, I am going to the hospital right now. Like, call me, like call the ambulance. I'm going to die. And that's what you're thinking at the time. And I remember at the time I started just walking and doing my deep breaths. And I called a mentor of mine and he said, this is going to be the scariest time of your life is after you leave that job. But I'm telling you right now, that you, are, you have made the right decision, you have done the right things, 
I'm here to support you in any way that I can. And a year from now, you're going to be going on podcasts. You're going to be telling people that it's worth it and that it's the greatest thing you've ever done. And now here we are a year and a half later. I'm still not bankrupt. I did something okay. <laughs> so it works. And now I'm literally living every single day feeling like Steve Irwin did where I'm just like on fire and on this like I'm in my path in my path, in my purpose, in my passion for people that are watching Deion Sanders and what he's doing at Colorado right now as a football coach. That's what I feel like every single day. So Ashley, you made this point before about education and about helping other people. I remember I was in Brazil at the time and this thought came to me and this is something people can take away and implement in your life today. You don't need to be in freaking Brazil. You could be at Dunkin' Donuts. And this thought is going from me to we. All right. <clears throat> So at a certain point, if you do this real estate thing the right way, you will have financial freedom. And there will come a point for all of you when you're like, I have more income coming in than my expenses. I don't have to work anymore. Now what? Right? And that goes back into passionate income. And for uh, what I think my hypothesis is for a lot of people, uh, it's going to be involved with giving back to other people and helping other people. So I was walking on the beach and I was feeling so lost. I was feeling so aimless because when a winner stops winning, you are no longer a winner. And when you're, the irony is when you become the type of person that can't become financially free, you become the type of person that's emotionally unable to <laughs> because now you're really good at systems, processes, business, and investing. So I was like, I gotta work on something. What is my path? What am I meant to do in life? And the thought came to me, I was like, me to we. And it was something a mentor had said to me. So I was like, how do I help a million other people do the same thing I did? How do I help a million other people do this? Like for free. And so that's what started me like going crazy with the podcast, going crazy with content. The account started blowing up. Uh, now we've, we're knocking on like a million followers. Now it's insane. Just posting videos and sharing the story, sharing the journey, letting people know that they're not alone. And now this is the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done in my life. And I know that both of you can directly relate with what I'm saying because you both do it. And watching other people win after you coach them and give them something and they execute is almost feels better than when you did it. <laughs> it's insane. That, that is so true. Like having somebody come up to you and tell you like they listen to the podcast and their their story of what they've achieved since they've been listening for a year from I mean, the guests that we bring in, they just give so much valuable information. And, you know, Tony and I just sit here and get to, you know, ask questions based off our, our own curiosity. But it's still yes, it is a, a, a great feeling. Yeah. And here's the here's the kicker. And I want you guys to do something like here's my homework for everyone listening. DM Tony and DM Ashley and let them know how they're impacting you. You could DM me too at Brian Lubin. Like, let them know because a lot of the time we're talking into the void. <laughs> and it's just like you spend an entire year and everyone assumes that we're like flooded with, oh my God, you're changing my life. Like you helped me with this episode. No, no one's doing it <laughs> because you all think that somebody else is doing it. And so I had this one woman named Jamara, shout out Jamara. Uh, she called me. Uh, about well, like it's, some education that I was doing. And she said, oh my God, you did a podcast episode uh, like a year and a half ago about Airbnb. And I've bought three Airbnbs since then. And I'm financially free. I was like, why am I hearing about this a year and a half later? <laughs> I was like, couldn't have shot me an email? <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> so there's so much more impact than you know that's going on in the background. Brian, I, I appreciate you being so transparent about that journey 
post, you know, leaving your job, because for a lot of people listening to this Ricky podcast, that is the goal, right? That they want to be able to be in a position where they can walk away from their jobs. But there, there's something that I want to point out to everyone. When you, when you do leave your job, it is uh, scary because it's a different lifestyle where you're not getting direct deposit every two weeks. Like your ability to generate income is based on the value that you're providing to now, not just your employer, but to the marketplace, right? And the, the thing that I always tell myself that, that helps me sleep better at night is that say that my businesses, all of them just came to a screeching halt today. I know without a shadow of a doubt that I can go back out into the workplace, brush up my resume, start applying to places, and in a reasonable amount of time, have another six-figure paying job just like I did before. So even like, it's not like I'm in a position where just because I, I took a break from the workforce that I'm never going to be able to go back. It's not like I'm blackballed from every single company that's out there. Even if everything that I've done as an entrepreneur failed in this exact moment, I know I could still go out and get a six figure income just by being an employee somewhere else. And that's what always gives me the, the confidence to keep moving forward because like, I, I know that that option is there and that's something I want people to understand. That's so, that's so huge. And I'll also add to that, that my, my buddy, Aaron Amuchastegui, he runs an awesome like real estate podcast as well. And I think he's been a guest on bigger pockets a bunch. And so he was talking about, he did a keynote at this event that we just threw and he was saying all about his journey and how, you know, in the two thousands, he was killing it and he was making millions of dollars through, he had left his job as a home builder and he was doing his own thing on his own. And then BlackRock came to him at the time and said, Hey, like, we want to hire you to come on with us. We want to buy your company, basically. Uh, and he's like, you can't put me... Or they said, we're going to put you out of business. He goes, you can't put me out of business. I'm the best. But it was BlackRock, and no one knew who BlackRock was at the time. So BlackRock put him out of business. And so that directly afterwards. They bought up every single house at the foreclosure auctions. He couldn't, he couldn't make a dime. And his income just disappeared. And he went through a two-and-a-half-year period of just floundering of just turmoil with his family and everything. And now like, I met him through a mutual mastermind that we're in as well in a community. And he's like, man, if I would have had people around me at that time, he goes, I wouldn't have floundered for two and a half years. And Tony, I would actually challenge you on that. I don't even think you would ever in your life ever again have to go back to that six-figure income because of how strong your community and your network is today, just from even posting free content or sharing what you're doing, sharing your story with you and Sarah. You would never have to. It's an option. But because you have people in your corner, like the people are always the answer. They've always been the answer. And the more you make, the more they're going to be the answer. So like, when, like... Your rental property, your house hack is not going to emotionally support you. Like technology is not advanced to this level. It's not going to call you when you're crying, when you're down, when you're depressed. Your people will. So I just wanted to add that. I don't think Tony and I like physically could actually go back to a nine to five job. Of I'm the least hireable <laughs> person. If anyone Googles me, it's like how to quit your job, how to leave your <laughs> nine to five. I'm the least hireable person in America. So those ships have been burned a year ago. Brian, I, before we before we let you go here, but I, I do want to just drill down a little bit on your on the strategy that you chose because we we don't talk a lot about the the kind of the co living strategy. Um, but I guess first, just for folks that maybe didn't weren't paying attention at that point, just define what co living is and how it's kind of an extension of typical house hacking. And I would love to hear how you source your tenants and how you kind of manage multiple people living in the same space together. 
Yeah, so it was just rent by the room, essentially, um, is how we started it. So in the beginning, it kind of just create, became this Frankenstein's monster. There are people that are much better at this than me. Uh, my buddy Sam, Sam Weggert, uh, plug for him. I think he's been on Bigger Pockets as well. Um, so he's a great co-living expert where he actually has SOPs and everything around it. So for me, I was just doing the house hack thing. And then I had a tenant move out upstairs. And then I just had people that I knew already. And I was just able to give them a lower than market rent. Say, hey, you got a bedroom over here. Like would do a year lease, like a traditional lease. You're just basically leasing a bedroom. Uh, so we didn't have anything fancy about it. And that's kind of how I've operated my entire life is to just figure things out. And here's the cool thing for people that are still listening. Once again, like you guys are rock stars. You guys are troopers. So I'll say this. You are guaranteed to fail. <laughs> it's guaranteed. At some way, shape, or form, at some point of your journey, you will fail. And that's okay. I need you to know that. So we, we are like, we're so afraid of failure that we don't get started. But what if you knew that failure was part of the journey and like it was actually an acceptable part of your progression and your investing journey. People aren't afraid of failure. They're afraid of the appearance of failure, right? And they're afraid of uncertainty. So they're like, how long will this failure last before I find success? So it's like, if you knew that you were, you know, four leaky roofs away from the property and like the SOPs and the systems that will change your life, you'd be like, give me the leaky roofs. If you knew you were seven dates away from finding your wife or your husband, you'd go on seven bad dates. You know, if you knew you were you know, four crappy businesses or 40 crappy properties away from changing your life and hit financial freedom, you'd be excited for that 41st. So that's how I view this and view everything that I do. I was just like, okay, I'm going to try this out and then I'm going to pivot and tweak and tweak and tweak. And then eventually um, it came to the point to, to highlight this and to really drive this home. There came a point when I was traveling and all of a sudden, oops, didn't work out anymore. Tenant became a problem. Uh-oh. Um, it was a mother with two kids that I had you know, taken out. She paid, was paying enough rent to where I could take out the individual and just give her the full top unit again. And uh, she didn't have the best credit score. So when it came to my tenant screening, I, I let her through. Tenant screening is the most important thing. The most important thing, especially for your first property. Like You need that good tenant for your first property. Otherwise, you're going to be discouraged to stay in the game. And man, she trashed it. She stopped paying rent while I'm traveling. Uh, she just said, no, I'm just not going to reply to you anymore. And so it went two or three months with her paying no rent, me falling for eviction, went through that entire process. By the time I came back, uh, unit was trashed and it was $17,000 to fix it. So everything was trashed. And so, and this was in a nice neighborhood too. So I was like, okay, cool. So emotional hat was off because I'm a real estate investor now, right? <laughs> so I said, okay, this is what it is. How do we fix this and where do we go from here, right? So we talk about the importance of CapEx uh, when you're doing your underwriting for especially single family and anything. You, I would be more you know, generous with your CapEx with a co-living situation, with more people because more wear and tear, more points of failure. So what I did was I was just like, okay, I had CapEx in my bank account, but that was getting eaten away while I was going through the eviction process, which is the worst thing to go through in any state. Thankfully, it was Georgia, which was a, a landlord-friendly state. And so I finished that up. I go back. I'm looking at it. 
And my, my realtor at the time, who also is an investor local in the local Atlanta market, uh, he was just like, oh, yeah, it's going to be 17000 to fix. So this, I do this all day in my sleep. And I looked at him and I was like, I hate this. This is awful. I don't want to ever do this again in my life. Like, this is the worst thing ever. I said, I am done with house hacking now. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to do something different moving forward. I was like, actually, like, let's run the numbers and see what repairs would be and getting this run it back out. What's the turn? What am I going to have to eat? So we talk, um, I don't want to go like too high level. We can bring it down a little bit, but we talk about return on equity a lot. Um, ROE, which is, you know, what is your equity in that property the best thing to use in that property? Or can you leverage that through a home equity line of credit, through a cash out refinance into another property? I talk about return on ROE, return on energy, return on effort. And right now I had a thriving business outside of this. And I was just like, every single minute that I'm spending focusing on this is a blip on the radar. And this is just a distraction from what else I'm trying to do in my side business, quote unquote, my passionate income, right? So we did the analysis on, you know, return on equity and then return on energy and effort. And I was just, man, this is going to eat our cash flow for like a full calendar year afterwards. I remember this worked for four years. And finally, there was a pop when I did something that was against my systems and my standards. So set strong standards, do not waver from them. And I wavered from them. And that was my mistake. And so the aftermath was, I was like, dude, I've got a low interest rate on this property. Every single bit of conventional wisdom is telling me not to sell this property. And I hear that you buy real estate, you hold it forever. But I was like, this is draining me emotionally to deal with. And then I have to get another tenant. And now nobody wants to take the property to manage. So I was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on the market. And I'm going to sell it. So I sold it. And now I've got enough cash to do a, a bigger deal now that we're four or five years down the road. And I didn't even do a 1031, which for people listening, like you can do a 1031 exchange, you sell a property, then you have a time window to where, in which you have to pick a new asset to invest in. And I was just like, man, I want to keep my one thing, my one thing. And that's what I'm doing. I was like, I just want to podcast right now and I can financially support it. So what I did was I sold that property. And now like, is there going to be a tax implication uh, on one, yes, ten, about 10 to 15% long-term capital gains, which we're going to offset with business expenses. And this may be a little insider baseball for people. You guys let me know. Um, the other property, we're going to do uh, what's called the homestead exemption. So I lived in that property for, I think it was like two out of the last five years as a primary residence. So we're able to tax defer that. Now, an important note on the homestead exemption is, because uh, me and my CPA are actively going through this right now, uh, you have to have a portion of it sanctioned for business use and personal use. So because a house hacked, if you house hack, you're going to have a portion of it sanctioned for business use, which will probably be 50% plus. So when you file your homestead exemption, you can, you can do the exemption on the part that's your personal use. So that's another thing that's important for people. And I didn't know that until recently. Um, so that's a lesson that I just learned. So I'll probably have to pay five or $6,000 tax on that, which is a drop in the bucket. So now where are the position I'm at today, I can freaking swing for whatever fence I want to swing for. And I can take whatever risk I want to take because I have the financial foundation and the backing to be able to like really launch into the stratosphere now. So it's about emotional well-being over anything. And I feel like the more experience of an investor you become, the more that this will, res re will resonate with you.
you hold the property forever and you transitioned into actually selling the properties and it's beneficial to you. And I think that's such a lesson right there as to you don't have to stay stuck in the same thing. You can change and pivot and still have that strong foundation. It's just the, the fact of getting started. I will say um, that that isn't to say just sell your property when things go wrong. Things will go wrong always. You're always going to have something go left, right, sideways. But if you do choose to sell the property, you need to have a strong enough business case. Why? So for me, it was the return on energy and effort for my other business that was already established and running. Um, or if you are looking to do a 1031 or you are looking to have like a strategy in place, not don't just say, oh, this property is annoying me now. I'm just going to sell it. That I would not do that. I do want to add that disclaimer. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Absolutely. I'm all over social media at Brian Lubin, just my name. Um, Action Academy podcast is my show, which I want both of you guys on. It's my literal life's passion. I have not missed a, a day of podcasting in 479 days. I podcast every day. I'm either on, I do a daily show. So I'm either making a podcast or I'm a guest on a podcast. And I, I've done it all around the world. Um, like literally everywhere. I've recorded in Greece, Turkey, Istanbul, uh, Brazil, Austin, Texas right now. So it's my life's passion is that podcast. And then if you guys want, want a bunch of free stuff, I've basically consolidated every free guide, resource, and training that I've got at quityourjob.co because that is a dope domain that I was able to buy. And it's .co, not .com. It's quityourjob.co. So that's where you guys can find me. And I just talk into a microphone. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Real Estate Rookie, and we will be back with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.